and letting people in. All right, so we're we're off. We're off, are we? Uh, give us a moment. And uh, as we get into it. Yes. And there we go. We are live. We are live. We are live. Good evening, everybody from Craftworks Distillery in beautiful Capity, New South Wales. Uh, my name is Craig, or Crafty, as I'm known, for those that don't know me. Uh, and uh, yeah, Craftworks Distillery is uh, our little distillery. Uh, and what we're doing is uh, Australian craft distillers uh, shooting the shit. Um, so it's an idea that craft distillers would talk to other craft distillers and basically just shoot the shit, have different sort of conversations and give people a bit of an insight into how we think, how we communicate and, and how we interact. But we've taken it one stage further because uh, we thought, well, hang on a sec. What about the people that are involved in us in putting uh, spirits into bottles? And there's a lot of people behind the scenes who are involved in that. Uh, you have cooperers, you have maltsters, you have designers. We work on, on design on bottles. Uh, we have water suppliers, uh, yeast suppliers. Uh, it, the list goes on and on. Uh, Winemakers, uh, brewers. So over the course of the series, and this is episode three, uh, we're going to be interviewing those people as well, uh, which is super exciting. We're looking forward to it. So tonight, uh, we have a very special person. Um, this person is a good friend of mine, um, a mentor of mine, and he is involved in wood extensively. So we're going to be talking tonight uh, to Mr. Andrew Young from YN Oak. And Andrew is a master cooperer. Uh, so his bag is wood and all things wood. So Andrew, we'll put Andrew on now. I'm going to ask Andrew the first and most important question. Mate, what are you drinking? Well, tonight I thought I'd rip out a real beauty. It's one of the original ones from Lark that I was involved in when Bill first came to see me. So wow. tonight I'm on the gas. My gas tonight is um, a Lark and I'm, and I'm loving it. Loving it. Very nice. Very nice. And... Uh, we also have Luke, local nerd. Luke is a whiskey drinker, IT support. Luke, what's in your glass, mate? Uh, I haven't deviated from uh, from last uh, from last chat. I'm on the Starwood Fortis, almost yep. done. Right, nice. That bottle. I may finish it tonight. You never know how we go. Yeah, all right. And then we've also got a good friend of mine. Uh, very much part of the Craftwork story, and that's Mr. Todd Pointer or the Todd. So what's the Todd drinking tonight? I'm actually breaking our rules tonight, and I'm oh. drinking uh, Vatman, the return of whatever we called it. The return of Vatman, just when you thought it was safe to get back into spirits. So Todd's breaking the rules. The idea of the show. It's our week, so I'm allowed to. Yeah. <laughs> it's our week because we, we, we launched we launched our first single malt, so it was a big deal. But um, yeah, basically, what we want is everyone to be drinking someone else's spirit and, and talking a little bit about it. So uh, we'll let you off tonight, Todd. Once we well, we'll do it once, at least like, <laughs> half of half of it is Riverborne. Does that make any difference? Oh, that's true. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I'm drinking uh, the Riverborne half. Yeah, drink the Riverborne half. <laughs> All right. 
So, well, I'm drinking uh, last week, we weekend, uh, we were down at Corora Distillery and uh, with uh, Dean Druce uh, and a number of other uh, Australian craft distillers having a bit of a blowout and it was a really good time. And so I discovered Quick's Courage, um, which is Pedro Jimenez cast. And so I picked myself up a bottle and that's what I'm going to be drinking tonight. So, guys, let's kick it off. Um, Andrew, let's go back to you, mate. Yeah. So, how long have you been working with wood? Now, not specifically whiskey, but wood in general. Okay. Well, it, it really kicked off for me in 1976, 1st of November 1976, where I was lucky enough to get an apprenticeship at uh, Penfold. So, you could say from then that's, that's when it all started. Right. Okay. And what was the attraction to get in, get into, into being a, a cooper? Well, uh, when you're a young lad, you're, you're a bit wild and you want to do what you want to do. And uh, luckily enough for me, for once in my life, I listened to my father and he said, uh, get yourself a trade, lad, or, you know, something decent. And I was never interested in vineyard as such, but um, I had an opportunity to go into the cooper shop every time Dad delivered grapes to Penfold. So I went and annoyed the old cooper and eventually... Uh, out of the blue, after annoying him so much, he threw his hammer and drive on the Cooper's desk and said, meet me up in the boss's office uh, tomorrow and bring your father. And uh, we went into the boss's office and uh, signed uh, my life away for five years, five-year apprenticeship back then. And wow. uh, my one of my mentors, uh, which I'm absolutely so thankful for, and it can never be repeated, of course, is uh, with the, the late, great Max Schubert. So that's when I got into wood, into wine, uh, Penfolds, and did all the hard yards right from scratch. So when you started, were you on the broom, just uh, sweeping up uh, wood shavings for the first three years, or did they throw <laughs> you straight into it? <laughs> but, but at the same token, that's a very important part is on the broom. Uh, you had to understand yeah. every aspect. And what I loved about Penfolds was the opportunities. We had so many opportunities to learn uh, right from the ground up, literally, well, well, virtually from the broom handle up. And uh, you learned all about management and uh, what wood uh, did to wine and how it's important. And which led, uh, one thing led to another, different size cast, and you learnt, uh, and it's even relevant today, I might add, so I'm going to talk about whiskey now. Yeah. But in the, in the wine game, but it's, but it's like I said, I'll repeat myself for in the whiskey as well. You can have a tainted cask, and we spend a lot of time sorting out um, tainted casks. And I must say, it's one of my biggest concerns, uh, even for the whiskey industry in Australia. There are barrels and there are casks, but, and here's the but, it's not always to do on price because um, what could be lurking in that secondhand wood, for example, um, can be soul destroying. So you could lose. You could even lose all your spirit through a badly tainted barrel. Right. Yeah, from, a, from a whiskey maker's standpoint, um, you know, it's generally accepted that between 60 and 65% of, of a flavour of a whiskey has come from what barrel has been used, what's been in the barrel uh, previously. So we, we put a lot of uh, importance on, on barrels. Um, and one of the areas with barrels that, that I think is concerning uh, a lot of Australian distillers is supply. Uh, yeah. Supply yeah. of, you know, there's a lot of uh, new distilleries opening up and there's a lot of 
there's a lot less fortified, good fortified wood around compared to where, where there was even three, yeah. four years yeah. ago. Yeah, no doubt. Um, so what's your take on, on all that? What, what do you think's driving that? And what do you what do you see as a way to remedy it? With I mean, people aren't going to just start drinking ports and sherries and, and instantaneously you're going to have those barrels because you just don't have the age on the barrels. So, what's well, your thoughts you, on it? Well, you might recall that um, over five years ago I put something out there with with you and a few other guys, and yeah. I just mentioned it that, that it's not going to last forever, and so. What I, I use the graph analogy, you know, you're, you're going along and you're, you're really going well and you're getting all these fortifieds. And when your whiskey's mature, what happens, what happens when you get to the edge of the cliff and there's no more fortifieds in Australia or good fortifieds, I might add? Yeah. And then what do you do? Your performance is going to drop off because you don't have the wood. So I put it out there and um, we did some crazy things. I told it wouldn't work, can't work. It's never worked before. Um, and so what I basically did, I invented with my guys in the Cooper shop. I got some terrific guys. They all had input. Um, you know, uh, I'll give you an example. I've got Rodney Schultz, 52 years in the trade, 52 years on hand tools. Wow. And, yep. And, and, yep. Yep. And I'm, I'm an old bugger myself now, and I'm coming up over 45 years in the hand tools. And I've got a, another guy there, a real gun guy, uh, Michael Hoffman. Uh, really, uh, the guy is is really good on quality control. I've got another fella too, Jeff. So we worked as a team and uh, we decided, well, we're going to have to do something. Um, and so we invented what we call super cask. And um, we went against the conventional science, I suppose. Uh, we didn't want to do any shortcuts. And uh, Crafty, you know yourself, um, I've always said you can uh, import barrels into Australia and, and that's okay, but deep down you don't know what you're really buying and you're, um, you're trusting the, the guys that do the importing to do the right thing. And that's okay to a certain extent. Uh, but we, we got these um, barrels, wine barrels, as we can tell everyone now, and uh, I'll leave it to you, Crafty, to say the results you're getting out of Supercast. Yeah, so, well, uh, it's it's um, the Supercast format is something there yeah, that we, you and I talked about quite a few years ago, uh, and I was intrigued by it. So I started with one or two Supercasks, and then from there, um, behind me, you can see there's quite a few blue rings. Yeah. So those blue rings, you know that they're Supercasts. <laughs> yeah. So from a craftworks perspective, it, it's a we use it as a as a foundation cask to to build our whiskies. Um, it's very very concentrated flavors. So I find super casks uh, quite exciting, um, and I find they work well with other casks as well. Um, as I said, it's a foundation cask, and you know you you can uh, pull it together with a bourbon cask. You can pull it together with uh, we've done it with PX sherry casks um, uh, with even wet fill wine casks has been quite successful. So it's a, it's an interesting format, definitely an interesting format. So it's, um, I mean, what, what, what can you talk about with supercasts that I haven't talked about All right, well, <laughs> on the social media? Okay. If you ask anyone and everyone in any organization, doesn't matter their field, everyone will tell you they've got trade secrets. We only have a couple of trade secrets on supercast because, believe it or not, the um, the heavyweights, if you like, have been investigating what we're doing and want to know what we're doing, and uh, it's uh, that 
part of it we don't share. Uh, look, we, we're here to help anyone and everyone from a guy who's got a single cask in his backyard, his little pot still, whatever he wants to do, right up to the multinationals. And, and you know, we've, we've even doing a project or still doing a project uh, overseas on, a, on yep. an island. And so that's, that's all good fun. Um, but I, I relate it back to what you guys want to do as an industry. What do you want your cast to do? Now, we, there's certain things we can do and certain things we can't do. One of the things that really worries me, and it's, I'm going from experience, you hear people, oh, we've bought old wine vats. And I'll give you an indication. The wine industry's got out of wine vats mainly um, because the wood is old. It's had it. And you can't revive, you cannot revive, I don't care who it is, you cannot revive something that's dead. But the biggest concern is some of these vats are so old that they are prone to taint, they're prone to mould, they're prone to God knows what, uh, and, you, and they're expected to hold. And, you know, if you want to take the risk on your on your whiskey, that's up to you. Uh, that's totally up to you. But wouldn't it be disappointing to fill a, say, a 500 or 500 litre or 2,000 litre vat only to have the whole whiskey go off. I mean, mm. that's like that's like throwing money away. I don't know anyone who wants to throw money away. If you do, throw it my way. Uh, <laughs> you know? uh, but I want the I want the Australian whiskey industry, whether you're big, small, bad, or ugly. You've got a. I think Australia can stand on its own two feet. If you're going to try and uh, replicate what every other country is doing, well, you're only one of the boys. Mm. You've jumped on that same bus. I'm saying no. Get off that bus. Go your own direction. And Australia uh, makes some bloody fantastic whiskies. There's no doubt about that at all. Why? Mm. Well, well, we're different. And and I'm going I'm going to go out on a limb here and say I hope the Australian whisky industry never ever becomes like the Australian wine industry. Now, can you that, expand on that? Well, I can I can because I I lived it through it myself where where there was big money came in and it was dog eat dog and it just grew and grew and grew and grew and then it fell over and then it had to pick itself up again. Yeah. Now, pe people might say, well, oh, big deal, so what? But what about the train wrecks along the way? Mm. So, so you know, you don't have to be a, a big uh, Jim Beam or any of those guys. You guys, you know, everyone likes growth, good steady growth. I know we're the same in the Cooper shop. We're not interested. We're not absolutely not interested in... Um, uh, growth. Uh, everyone brags. Oh, yeah, we've got great growth. Well, yeah, so do we. But uh, we we want the, we want the top one percent of the iceberg. In mm. other words, I'm after the Aston Martin uh, end of town, yeah. and, and uh, we'll help anyone out. But I've got good people with me. I've got good, qualified, accredited people who've got trade skills that you wouldn't believe. And you've yeah. been in my Cooper shop, mate. Yeah. You've you've made your own barrel. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I know, I know what you're saying. So we, we I, also we also run a thing called Cooper for a day, where you can come in for one or two days, make your own barrel. It's not going to give you accreditation as a Cooper, but we're offering this out to that to the whiskey industry. And I see Peter Galotta, He was in my uh, Cooper shop the other day, and he bought a, <laughs> he bought a bit of uh, a bit of uh, good uh, Anthropocene uh, whiskey. Uh, they're up to the shop the other day. So yeah. we, we try and help any, we're here to help this backyard or the multinational, it doesn't matter. Yeah, look, I, I, I think this is my own personal opinion. It's um, you know, the, the relationships we have with the likes of yourselves and Cooperers and Maltsters and everything else, it, that's our competitive edge. That's, you know, yeah. we, can, we can get in there and we can 
have conversations and take them different ways, different creative ways, uh, and make really creative products. And well, I th- yeah. Well, I, I think it's. I think sorry to cut you off, but I think it's very yeah. important to say this as a Cooper. Yeah. Despite despite my knowledge and, and what I've been gifted and learnt and from various sources, and with Rodney and and Michael and all the boys in the shop, yeah. you know, every single day, and I'll make this point to everyone. Every single day, we are learning something new. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're learning yeah. something new, and and you don't come into the coopering industry five minutes and know it all. And I can tell you that now. Not all casks are the same. Yeah. No. It's it's the same in the distillation. Yeah, yeah. You 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 don't come in and and know it all. You're learning all the time. I mean, I I've been in distilling for three years, and I put myself on a self-imposed apprenticeship. I only just took myself off it. Uh, I wouldn't even call myself a distiller. Now I call myself a, a distiller. Um, yeah. And I th- I think holding on to a degree of humility is important. I really do uh, because it keeps you thirsty uh, and it keeps you open to. Other people they want to want to be around you and, and talk to you and share their experiences yeah, and it's yeah. it's that sharing that creates that creativity. If you're gonna if, if you're not going to share in this industry, I can tell you now you're you're, you're doomed and you're going to fail. Yeah, and every but 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 every every little distillery, I like the idea. Even a coffee shop, you have your, your own unique tricks. Yeah. And this and ours is certainly super cask, and uh, we've had some very big brand names around the world. Yeah. Uh, wanting to know what we're doing, and you know yourself, we've we've even made a few for the my favourite car company, who I won't mention. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, a, car, a car company, the car goes fast, <laughs> uh, goes bloody very, fast, very, and very uh, fast. Yeah. and uh, I've always it's always been my dream. I'm digressing, but it's always been my dream to drive this particular car on the Bell's Line of Road in Sydney. So uh, that's my <laughs> challenge. <laughs> okay, let's change the subject a bit. Yeah. Um, we we often get asked by um, um, by by home uh, people are trying to make whiskey at home. Yeah, so yep. they, they go look. You know, I, I want to have a crack at. I, I want to. I just want to buy some new make spirit, uh, or I want to actually put some old whiskey in and mix whiskey into barrels. And there's there's tricks we all know with with the barrels. Um, you know, you don't for one thing, you don't go out there and buy a, a two liter cask that's been varnished or something like that. So. <laughs> What, what's some of the advice you'd give the guys at home on if they wanted to play around with a barrel at home, um, what, what would you recommend? Okay, first and foremost, and I know this sounds crazy, but uh, we'll try and help people through this. Don't go and buy these, I don't know if I can say it, pissant, uh, two litre, five litre. just did. Uh, okay, all right, <laughs> sorry. Don't go and buy these pissant, two litre casks. The first thing you do, if you do, here's, here's what you look for. Here's what you look for. If you've got the metal hoops, if they're if they're brass, for example, or anything like, if they're pinned, if they're pinned into the barrel, there's a, there's something to look out for. Avoid it, avoid it, because they're relying on the pins to hold the hoops on. Why? Ninety percent of the time, those barrels are wax lined. Oh, so yeah. so here's the deal. So you take your barrel home and you you read some directions, and they say it says fill it with water. Wrong, wrong, wrong. And they'll never say use hot water because what will happen to the wax? It will melt it. You got it. So mm. number one, number one, always use cold water. If you have to do that, use cold water. Not we, In their case, um, uh, Michael, for example, looks after our quality control. And I tell you what, not a, not a single barrel leaves my Cooper shop unless it's been tested with wine and put under pressure. And why do we put wine in? 
because it helps the staves keep saturated. And I know, and, and, and here's, here's the secret to it too. If you produce a barrel in Australia, uh, we try and produce it about oh, 14, 10 to 14% moisture content in the staves where they joint it up nice and tight. But we factor in, if they're going to be shipped, especially during, I dare say, at COVID times, um, we don't want the barrel hanging around on the wharf or in the port, in the port or on the semi-trailer. So, Crafty, for example, if I'm sending you a barrel in Sydney, I'm sending that barrel ready to go. So, bang, you've got your spirit ready and the barrel arrives and within a couple of days, it's full of your spirit. So just be wary of anything like that that's got, um, you know, pins and hoops and all that sort of stuff. There are right. barrels and there are barrels, okay? Yeah. So, yeah. Sorry, just to chime in there, just uh, what do you do with all that wine after, so you, you, you fill the barrel with wine before it goes out. Yeah. What do you do with that then? Well, we, we, what we do, we, we grab that wine and we, if it's 100 litre, we'll fill it with 100 litre of wine and um, we'll, we'll, we'll drain that off. We check it for leaks and we'll let all the charring absorb. Uh, if it's a sherry cask, it's full of sherry. It just absorbs all those beautiful flavours. We check it for leaks. As you know, wine will leak and where water won't and all that sort of stuff, particularly spirit. And here's, here's one something to really remember, uh, crafting you guys out there. Uh, spirit, uh, if we we're repairing a spirit barrel in, in this Australian heat, so it's a 40 degree day, 8% uh, humidity, which we've had here in the Brossel Valley many, many times, uh, hot, hot northerly winds. If you repair a spirit barrel, you have to have that barrel repaired within a couple of hours or, or that day. If you go home and don't uh, put the end in or join, uh, tighten the staves up, uh, you can leave the head out for maybe 24 hours if that. Uh, but spirit's very drawing and it just evaporates and all the staves dry out. So when you get a cask, um, we, we will fill it, uh, we'll drain it off and we'll always leave a little bit of port in there. And uh, well, that's our contribution to the angels. Because <laughs> they take enough. <laughs> yeah, they do. They do. They do. But it's worth the extra care and attention. Um, I'd rather not sell a barrel. Uh, if, if, if my guys say, Hey, look, it doesn't make the grade, uh, it, it, it doesn't go mm. because you, because it doesn't matter how many years you've had in a trade, you're only as good as your last job. Yeah. True. True. Right? Yeah. No, no. Quality is important. So you're exporting barrels. Um, yeah. so that must be challenging because you, you said, uh, up in the islands and that, I mean, yeah. that's. The climate there, God, that must be really challenging. Um, we love it. We love it. Do you want to know a little short story on that? Yeah, go for it. Okay. Okay. So there's a little island, uh, oh, what are we, to the uh, uh, east of Australia, north uh, east of Australia, a few thousand k's away. And uh, they use the word buller. And I think you know where that is. Yeah. And uh, anyway, we had the challenge. They've got 30,000 barrels of rum. And we were tasked, uh, Michael and myself, uh, went over and uh, did a few barrel repairs. And they loved what we did. And uh, we helped them. And I got approached on the sideline and said, look, uh, hey, can we just play with some whiskey? Can we just have uh, some whiskey barrels? So we made up the three uh, three barrels for them, uh, hogsheads. And uh, it was all a bit of fun. It was a bit of a joke. And uh, they said it wouldn't work, can't work. And... Um, I noted what was happening to the end of the cask. And this is something else for Australian guys to note. When you've got your barrel full, there's a difference between a leak and a wheat. Now, Crafty, you and I have talked this many, many times. Yeah. 
So, so one of the things is, uh, if I see my barrel weeping, yeah, you know what, you know Don't what, it's, bl it's bloody Christmas time. I'm overjoyed because that interaction, and hopefully you can get one aircraft in show us. Yeah, I will shortly. I've just All realized right. I'll I'm, keep, I'll... I'm chewing through power, so I've got okay. to go find some power. All right. You're going to find some power. But, um, yeah, but the whole issue is if you've got a weeping cast, that means that cask is working for you, okay? A weeping yeah. cask. If you've got a leaking cask, hell, that's a different story. That's profit going to the angels. That's profit going on the floor. So, uh, but the means and ways of fixing a leaking cask is if it does happen. You can use brown paper, string, that sort of thing, as I demonstrated to you uh, at Manly that time. Hang on. I'm still going pear shaped here. Hold on. Does that make, does that make sense to you? Yeah. So we've we've had a question on Facebook come in. Yeah. Uh, from um, Dave and Carolyn Taylor. Oh yeah. Yep. Saying he's got a, a ten oh. export barrel uh, that's just aged new make. He's bottled it, uh, but would he'd like to recuperate? Can it still be? Can it be recouped? Still wet? Send yeah, send it over to us, and we'll uh, we'll get the boys onto it, and we'll uh, we'll give it merry hell, and uh, we'll uh, we'll get it going for him. Just remember, just remember, um, doesn't matter how good the cooperage is, they're never the same. So you just can't keep on using them on and on and on. Uh, I, I and I'm I'm new to this in some ways. Um, you guys are experts, I'm not, but um, I'd say you, your first and second fill, third fill, you're going to see some difference there. But certainly, Absolutely. yes, yes, uh, we we can do it. It's like it's like us. Uh, when we get older, we wear out, and barrels are no different. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll comment on that from a yeah. from a distiller standpoint. Uh, absolutely, um, a first fill barrel uh, versus a second fill versus a third fill, huge, huge difference. Um, uh, and I, I know some distillers now that are moving to second fills. Um, it's giving a lighter expression, which is actually suiting the style of whiskey that they want. Um, and then there's other people that just want big, massive flavors. They will use the cask once and, and that's it. Now, I've got a question for you, Andrew. Um, yeah. So one of, one of the things that I'm intrigued about is... Um, flavors up and flavors up and flavors with a barrel. So I'll give you an example. Yep. I've got I've got a barrel um, which is an ex whiskey barrel that had um, yeah it was an ex whiskey barrel uh, that then became a musket barrel in Australia um, used by a winemaker that then got converted it back into a whiskey barrel smaller format 100, 100 liters that I then gave to a brewer friend of mine who made a chock cherry stout and then I'm going to get it back shortly. What's your take on that um, from a like I'm fascinated with beer and particularly beer flavoring in, in yeah. barrels and yeah. just layering all those flavors up. What's your take on, on, on that? What do you think would happen? Oh, look, it, it's, it's a real good question and it's a hard one at the same time. Mm. Uh, there, there, there's going to come a time where so, somewhere in that roundabout, that barrel is going to be exhausted. Yeah. It's going to be like a V8 motor. When it's new, it's going to be hard and strong. It'll be good. And, and after a while, you get, after about 100,000 miles, you're going to get some piston slaps worn out. It's buggered. <laughs> someone likes cars. Do you realise someone here likes cars? <laughs> <laughs> well, sorry, but that's how, you know, that's just me, you know. just, just <laughs> But, you know, it's like anything. Everything's lifed. Everything yeah. is lifed. Yeah. 
And I'll harp, and I keep on harping about secondhand barrels. Yeah, look, you can get some good buys out there. Um, but mind you, there's, there's some pretty expensive casks out there that have been, uh, I believe, highly inflated. Mm. They're old, but you have to ask yourself, what do you want the cask to do? Yeah. That's the first question. You've got to say, well, what do you want to do? Yeah. Yeah, and just because a barrel is old doesn't necessarily mean it's it's good. Absolutely. You've you've hit the nail on the head there and I've seen and you know, you know, from my point of view, uh, I've been honest in this industry and it's heartbreaking. It's bloody heartbreaking to go and tell people I've just spent well, I'll give you an example. Uh some of them in the Brossa here, Hogsheads, old ones were getting six or seven hundred dollars each. And you have to tell those people that look, I'm sorry, you know, come to the Cooper shop and we'll show you why. Mm. Why? And uh, I know if I was investing in uh, oak, I'd be I'd be saying, well, boy, oh boy. And this is the other thing we got to watch too as an industry. Uh, I, I know there's new players coming in, um, and I'm I'm working. I do a lot of work with uh, AP John, Peter John. Yeah. Um, and they import bourbons and all that sort of stuff. I'm not against people importing, but how can you how can you say, uh, for example? Um, you know, you've been around for 10 years and you, and you know, wouldn't you have been in the game five minutes? I'd never do that. Mm. So your your advice is, for the new players in particular, is be careful, do your research and know, know what you're spending your dollars on. Yeah, Exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And you can't you can't expect uh, to be fair to all those guys importing now. You can't, they're, they're trying their hardest too, I get that. Yeah. Uh, but you can't expect an old stuffed barrel, and they're not all stuffed, I no. want to make that clear. I want to make that clear. No. And yeah. all hearts back to what you want to make. But there's yeah. going to be a point in time where those barrels are worn out and they're finished. But in, in relation to your actual question before, guys, get out there, play around with flavours, woods and different things. And you know, Crafty, as I told you today, we boxed up something special for you today. Uh, and don't forget to organise that transport either. <laughs> next week, next week. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Sorry, so, just, just before we so move, guys, we've got another we've got another oh. sorry, Andrew. We've got another question off Facebook from Daniel Cooper. What's your what's your take on um, non oak barrels? Leak like a bitch. <laughs> non oak barrels. As, non as in oak as, barrels. So okay, okay. Are there okay. any other interesting wood types? <laughs> that you've okay. tried and used and that yeah, yeah. okay okay guys here's 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 the number one rule i'm going to put my ghoulies on the line now for australia okay <laughs> um i don't want to see people waste their money and I'll, I'll tell you what we did over 30 years ago in the wine industry and we did it with the whiskey industry early on australian hardwoods for example do not waste your time making barrels out of Australian hardwoods. You're going to get something so unpalatable, you won't be able to drink it. So don't even waste your time, Australian hardwoods. Now, having said that, having said that, of course, uh, I'm only here saying that because if I was an investor uh, using my own money, and there's an old saying, it's easy. It's, you can do anything with anyone else's money. So I would avoid it. I would avoid it. Stick to the known uh, quantities. That's not saying, you know, don't use uh, maple barrels or, you know, loads of other, other ones. Give it a try. But as far as Australian hardwoods go, you are wasting your time. That's a proven fact. 
What about from a porosity standpoint, leaking and, and things like that? Uh, would you? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, once again, it's all about the grain and wood type. And uh, I'll give you an example. Um, I was asked, I was pestered and pestered and pestered to make an Australian hardwood barrel years ago. And I told the guy, uh, the grain, you can have knots, I won't seal, various reasons. And uh, in the end, I, I stuck to my guns, it didn't make it. He got them barrel made elsewhere. And guess what? Within weeks, it was weeping and seeping and you, you just couldn't stop it. Then it went from a weep to a leak and it was disastrous. So I lost a lot. Mm. So no, no, just don't do it. Just There are some things in life you shouldn't do. Like waxing barrels. Yep. Because if you're going to wax your barrel, if you're going to have yeah. wax in your barrels, you might yeah. as well have it in glass. It's not going to do anything. You mm. might as well use it for a doorstop or a boat anchor. Mm. Yeah. Um, just on that, because, yeah, you, you mentioned that and, and it got me thinking. So I remember Bill Lark told me a story once yeah. about one of his best barrels was, was an old dodgy barrel that leaked like a servant. It was a doorstop. Um, and it turned out to make really cracking whiskey. Um, but I, it got me thinking about Bill Lark. And you have known Bill for yeah. many, many years. I mean, Bill's the godfather of, of Australian whiskey in particular. No doubt. Um, and the first time I ever saw Blue Ring Barrels was down at Lark. So tell us a bit about your friendship with Bill and <laughs> how far back it goes. And what's, yeah, what's some of your experiences with Bill? Okay, well, the first thing is... Uh, all those guys, those guys down in Tassie, we love them all. Uh, the industry is bloody fabulous. And um, years ago, I was working in the Cooper shop there at Shepplesfield, and we were doing 100 litres, and this old old bloke rolls up on a motorbike, and he says, G'day, I'm Bill Lark. And he come in with his sidekick, Mark uh, Nicholson, on a oh, right. yeah. BSA or something. And I remember taking the mickey out of both and saying, uh, you know, you want to get real motorbikes, you guys. And and the friendship went on from there on, and uh, they come into the Cooper shop and we talk wood, and then it developed from there. So, what happened? So, did Bill said, "Yeah, I'll, I'll, have, I'll have a crack at some of your whiskey barrels." Were you making whiskey barrels at that point, or yeah, or... We, we had just started. We just started, right. and right. Uh, in its infancy, and we got into it, and um, and Bill he wanted a certain specification char, yeah. and 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 and. and I've got to tell you something about charring, uh, or do you want to talk about charring now, or talk about Bill later on? Or no, good. Yeah, jump into char. Yeah, okay. Uh, charring. Okay, charring is very, very important. It's it's the single, it's the single uh, most important thing. Believe it on a barrel, and uh, Bill wanted a relatively heavy char. Now here's here's the deal. So some of the barrels that we're getting from Sepplesfield, the big, chunky, heavy, you know, heavy flavored barrels. Uh, require a certain heat. Now, you don't get a heat gun. You just don't get a heat gun. If you're making a brand new barrel, mass-produced cooperages, they use heat guns because all the staves are the same uh, as right. the moisture content, right? So that's right. that's all computer-driven. But we use our that up there, yeah. which is uh, which is good. And uh, not every cask is the same. There's too much. Uh, flog with all the uh, heat gun business so we listen to what the what the um, distillers tell us in this case bill and we developed a certain type of cask for him and um, a bit like a little bit like when max schubert was doing his thing with grange he was overboard and the company said told him to stop now look at grange but getting back to bill so he was making a style for tasmania and and the rest is history mm. and now one of the uh... 
well, that's actually gone generational now. Chrissy Lark uses um, your yep. barrels too. Yeah. Yep. Well, we're, we're passing on and we went down there. I took uh, good friends, uh, Hoffman's down to uh, my, who works for me and uh, Michael and his wife. And we went down and had a good time in Tasmania. We loved it. Did a little bit of sailing uh, on the harbour there and loved it all. And nice. uh, learned, learned about the industry. So I, I think it's great that everyone's in the, whilst you're independent, yes, it's, it's really important that you work together. Yeah, no, exactly. And you know, one of the reasons we're doing Shooting the Shit series is, is to have these sort of conversations so people can see that you know, there are other people involved in, in what we do to put spirits in bottles. Uh, and those relationships are very, very important. Um, it's not like oh, we, we're just placing orders and we never meet the people. You know, we have, new, you, like you and I, we, we communicate every couple of days shooting yeah. shit about various things yeah yeah as do and, others uh, as do others if people ring me up uh, anyone can ring me up and if it's about you know i'll if i can hear if i can hear the phone going i'll answer it 90 percent of the time if not i'll get back to them but i'm i'm prepared to share our knowledge and uh, help people out it's yeah. most important most important we're on we're on the earth a short time let's make it a good time so what do you think, we've, we've had a question from uh, Mike Leyland on, uh, on Zoom, uh, saying, what do you think of, uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to pronounce it wrong, uh, Mizuara, Mizanara? Mizanara Oak? Yes. Missouri. Missouri. Missouri? Uh, no, Jap Japanese Oak. Japanese Oak. Oh, no, yeah. Oak. Well, Mizanara Oak. Yeah, it's, look, it's good stuff if, if you can get hold of it. But it's like gold. Right. Uh, yeah. I was lucky enough. I'm lucky enough. My wife's brother lives in uh, Tokyo and he's got access to, um, uh, hell, I've forgotten the distillery now. Uh, and uh, we've got access in there. And if you get hold of all those quirky one-off oaks, then, yeah, give it a go. But stay away from the Australian hardwoods. You're going to be disappointed. Mm. Okay. Yeah, interesting. Well, okay, question for you. Um, we often hear about American oak and we often hear about French oak and European oak. Yeah. What's the difference between French oak and European oak? Is there any actual <laughs> difference or is it one and the same? Let me start off from a winemaking sense and you can yep. sort of lead into there if that's okay. Yep. So uh, French oak, French oak is tend to be more spicy. Okay. It's got a, it's got a variant of a large range of spices. Okay. Right. Right. Uh, it, years and years ago, it used to be very, very soft. It still is. But uh, an American oak, if I flip the flip side, we go to American oak, it can be bloody hard, very tight grained, and more vanilla and characters. Yeah. So, yep. so uh, it depends on what you want to make with your with your whiskey. But we can manipulate that to a certain extent. So from a from a cooperage standpoint. And handling French oak and handling American oak, do, do you treat the woods differently uh, because oh, of the, the tightness of the grain? And, and that yeah, or? we do. We do. We we're uh, very very French oak. Um, it's it's difficult now. Uh, let's be honest. Um, a lot of French oak and American oak now coming into the country, fast grown. Uh, you know, it's cut down and and it's all machine made. Yeah. So if you had a barrel that was handcrafted years ago, and we we've I've still got access to some of those beautiful old hogsheads and puncheons. Uh, that were handmade, but I, but I, you can get you can get French oak as hard as American oak now. Right. Okay. Mm. Okay. So it's changed. Yeah. So if you if you've had a if you've had a hard weekend, and on a Monday morning you can tell who in the cooper shop who's had a hard weekend, I can tell you. 
you give, <laughs> you give them a piece of hard American oak and short grain, and uh, you know we play tricks on one another. <laughs> one of the questions uh, that I've got is early in my in my journey on on wood. Yeah. Uh, I had people telling me you can tell the difference easily French oak versus um, American oak just by looking at the wood. Um, and I will be honest, I struggled with it for, for quite some time. I think now I can tell uh, just looking at the, uh, the grain texture and that, but it's also the type of barrels uh, um, is a bit of a giveaway. What's your take on all that? Is it, is there a, is there a clear cut way you can go? Yes, that's French oak or yes, that's American oak. Well, when we deal with so much, you know, I got to, I got to tell you at the end of the day, um, yeah, I've really got to look twice, three times sometimes yeah. because you know, it's, uh, when these things are mass produced, uh, uh, these big, the new barrels I'm talking about coming yeah. not my barrels, but the ones that come in from overseas yeah. and you can't, you can actually tell, but, but so many, so much depends on environmental factors where that oak was originally grown. Yeah, you, know, okay. it, you know, the growth of that tree, if it's in the snow, has it been through hard times, all that sort of stuff. But yeah, mm -hmm. we can generally tell the difference between French and American. Yeah, okay. All right. Uh, another okay. question from uh, Facebook's come in, sorry, I, that I thought Go for it. Go for it. Why do the Irish stand the barrels up? Why do, why do the Irish stand barrels up whereas the rest of the world lay their barrels on their side? Easy, easy answer. Easy answer. It's all about storage. It's all about storage. In in Australia, for example, we used to used to lay them down on stillage, you know, and then you build a pyramid stack. Then it's all about economies of scale and handling. Um, it's all about handling the barrels. So uh, now you 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 would put those barrels on barrel cradles and you handle them with a forklift. Over there, or even here in Australia, uh, wine and whiskey, you'd buy a cheap pallet. Uh, in comparison with a with a barrel cradle, and you stand up on its end. Now I'm going to come clean here. I'm not in favour of that at all. Mm, from a from a bung standpoint, it must be pretty critical that you use bungs that don't pop out under pressure. Well, well, I can understand it when it when you're paying for space. I, I understand it. I get it. I I'm right across it. I personally don't, I personally don't like it because that one end, even though you've got the vapors and everything inside the barrel, that one end is going to be dry. Yeah, you would you would think so, wouldn't you? Uh, yeah, well, yeah, it does. It does. Mm. I mean, Which on mean? average, I mean, you guys help me out here, but. I'm gonna I'm gonna shoot from the from the hip now. I think it's about could I safely say is it three percent um, angel share per barrel even in the hogsheads? I don't know. It could be higher. I don't know. Uh, it'd be higher. I, I'm I'm about on my hundreds anyway. About seven percent. Yeah, um, wow. So it, it's pretty high. And I I know some uh, someone up the road distillery. They're about nine percent. Yeah, um, well, that's there you go. So you know, yeah. it's, it's all I, I know. It's all compromise. I get that. Yeah, as I, as I say to Scotsmen that, that come in the, the shed and ask questions, and we talk about angel share, and you you tell them how much you're losing, and they go, "Oh, that would upset a Scotsman big time." Yeah, to lose well, that that's they've a leak. Got, well, they've got short <laughs> arms and deep pockets, those guys. I mean, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, what do you think of um, what do you think of the, the the craft spirits movement in Australia? Looking at it. From your perspective, do you see we're in a we're in a golden time? We're we're sort of coming to the end of the golden time. Do you see there's opportunities? You mentioned concerns of what happened in the wine industry. Yeah, What's your take on it? it? Yeah. I, guys, I think quality 
your quality, all of you guys collectively, all over Australia, uh, your quality will win the day. And I, I talk, I, if I can relate to my own Cooper shop, everyone that comes, most people come into the Cooper shop, they say, how many do you produce a day? What are your numbers? What do you, what do you produce? We don't worry about numbers. And I'll tell you why. If you make a quality product, the world will come to you. Right? The world will come to you. Now, what a, what a, what a, what a situation to be in. Mm. Right? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I agree. You know, and, and I'm, once again, I relate it to the car industry. If I drive brand X, where they make thousands a year, do I want to produce thousands a year or do I want to produce the pinnacle Aston Martin range? Ah, there it now, is. He said it. Well, okay. Yeah, sorry. Uh, but, but that's where we want to go. Now, the guys in the craft industry, you guys across Australia, even the bars, the hotels, the pubs, the clubs, you guys have got such, I, I mean this in with most sincerity, you guys, what you have got, you guys, don't stuff it up. Don't stuff it up. We'll try not no to. Shortcuts. <laughs> no, well, how, what will happen if someone comes in over the horizon, been in the game five minutes and puts a product out that's inferior? Yeah. And and I can tell you from the wine industry uh, or, or anywhere, anything that you manufacture, if you've got a customer that's been loyal and with you for years and years and wants to follow through for years to come, once you've lost that customer, forget it, they won't come back. No. No, you build, you build your brand loyalty with your quality. And, and you build and you build it and like and I built you my, yeah yeah and how i built my cooperage I, i've said to you just a minute ago and it still stands true i'm not interested in numbers what we produce a day yeah because if i made um i'll look, just throw it out there for the hell of it if i made 100 barrels a week which i don't but if we made 100 barrels a week and 10 of those barrels go out and they're faulty i said before you're only as good as your last barrel yeah does that make sense yeah, it does. No, no, it's quality. It's quality. One of one of the things in 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 the space that I'm operating, you know, craft distilling is we're quite a lot of us are very collaborative. We we yeah. work with each other. We yeah. share information. In the cooperage space, is that the same? Do you have that? You mentioned AP Johns before. Yeah. Uh, is it like that sort of relationship with cooperages as well? I've I've got that with Peter uh, Peter John. I've known the John family for years, and when I was at Penfolds, uh, we bought all their um, AP John barrels. Yeah. They make a robust uh, product. They've been that family's been in the industry over 125 years. I think to me that's got to be uh, respected. And um, you know, uh, I, I welcome new players to the industry. But what I take, uh, what I'm carefully guarded about, is someone who's been in the trade uh, five minutes. My biggest yeah. thing is, I mean, my biggest thing is where are they going to be if if something falls over? Yeah, yeah, no, fair comment. You know, you know yeah. that's just the way it is. Yeah, we've got another face uh, Zoom question here for you guys, or for Andrew. Yep, yep. Uh, do you mix up your staves, i.e., bourbon, port, sherry? Well, wholly and solely, it depends on what the customer wants. I mean, uh, we will we would say to the customer, we've, uh, if I can use this, uh, Crafty, I can say, well, Crafty's done a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Uh, it's been successful and I'll, I'll say to them, well, don't go down this road. And I'll give you an example. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, use American or French oak staves and then put Australian hardwood ends in as yeah. an example. Well, hopefully that answers your, your question. Yeah. Uh, 
known quantities all the time. Yeah. And you can marry uh, American oak and French oak yeah. com comfortably in the barrel? With, Not, no problem at all. No yeah. problem at all. No problem yeah. at all. But you've got to look at the age of the the age of the wood. Mm. Yeah. That's, but then again, someone would say, well, why not just have a, an American oak a barrel and a French oak barrel and just marry the product at the end? It'd be a, be a lot easier, yeah. wouldn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, look, we've made barrels too where we've had equal amounts of French and American oak staves. And we've yeah. even had some German oak staves, yeah, which right. I which I won't use again because German oak is so soft, it just it just causes you grief. It's messy. It's and it, it does leak, and it's it's a bugger of a wood. It's it's very soft. I've never heard of German. Is it like Hungarian oak? Is it? Yeah, is yeah. It? It's very 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 soft. Yeah, right. Very soft, and even the bluntest of hand tools uh, will just slice through it. Right. Now there's a question. Yeah. So, as a Miller Brewer Distiller, sometimes we have to repair a barrel um, because barrels move. Um, you know, but we, we've got we get a lot of storm fronts where we are rolling through off the plains, puts the barrels under pressure. Um, so we've we've been we've banged hoops on. Um, <clears throat> I have taken headwoods out and things like that. But what what basic toolkit? If if a distiller came to you and said, "Mate, I, I need to have the, the tools." Uh, so I can do some my own repairs because I don't have a cooperage close by, which a lot of yeah. us don't. What would be the basic tools you would recommend to uh, okay. get yeah, their hands good, on? Good question. And uh, Crafty, I know your cooperage skills now. So uh, <laughs> I, I bang my thumbs a few times. <laughs> I know, I know. But you're not a member of the Cooperage Club unless you've taken a no. finger off or done something. So here's here's the, here's the in answer to your question. You need yeah. a good you need a good quality hammer and driver. You want a right. good hammer. You don't want some pissant thing that weighs half a, you know, you want a man's hammer. Okay. <laughs> You've seen those in the Kirby shop. Man's yep. hammer and a proper driver. Yeah. Uh, that's number one. And also you want to, you want a chisel in your, in your toolkit. You want some uh, spigots in your toolkit, wooden yep. spigots. And when you put those in guys, don't get over happy with the hammer and bash the crap out of it. You're only going to make it worse. So, for example, if you get a wormhole or um, you know, a bug or something and yep. you put a nail in there, just go gentle, just go gentle and give it five minutes. The other thing is the old brown paper bag trick. Don't use white paper. Use brown paper. It's got the nice amount of cellulose in it. Roll it up as we demonstrated to it manly that time. Yep. And gently push it in the joints and go from there. But, at this, but most of it hinges back to always have your barrels full if you can. Mm. Yeah, right. The yeah, worst cool. thing, the worst the worst thing for a barrel in Australian conditions at 40 degrees, for example, at 10% humidity, and we've had it lower than that here in South Australia, I can tell you. Howling bloody northerly. We're in great fire weather, as you know. I'm in the country fire service here. Great, great bloody fire weather. And yeah. it just drags the guts out of your timber, as in moisture. Mm. No, like I, I've seen it firsthand. I, I picked up a, a little 10-litre barrel that was dry. Hadn't had it in spirit for a while, and it basically disintegrated in my hand. <laughs> it just well, collapsed the stage, the, the hoops, you, and everything. You, you raised a good point there. I want to say to everybody if you got your wood, and you'll often hear people say, put it in a bucket of water or fill it with water. Don't do that immediately if it's real bad. You've got to tighten the hoops first. I've had so many people that have just filled the barrel up. Water's yeah. expensive. 
And and ideally, ideally in any situation, one, you should never get there where it's that loose. But two, if you are, the best thing for your barrel, believe it or not, is very slow, gentle steam. Right. What, what, what that steam does is sterilize your barrel, number one. But number yep. two, gentle steam, it just is so good on the pores of the timber. It just expands so quickly. Mm. Not all of you got steam, I realize that. But uh, hot water or you know, cold water. But you should yeah. never get that far. We've got a couple of uh, display barrels outside, um, the, purely just display barrels. And Tom yeah. and I, over January, intend to pop the hoops, pop out the headwood and play around with them. And, uh, yeah, play around with a bit of cooperage, low risk, because <laughs> they're empty barrels. But well, it'll be a bit of, well, bit of fun, it, won't it, Todd? It's how, it's how, it's how no, you learn. They're on the verge of collapsing, those barrels. So, yeah, yeah, they are. <laughs> but it's how you learn. And we, like I said, we're running a very successful, we call it Cooper for a day. We're, we're pushing that out to three days now. You'll yeah. leave our Cooper shop with good knowledge, good basic knowledge. You won't be able to call yourself a Cooper, but it's our contribution to helping the industry. And I think it's, I think it's necessary. Yeah. Look, I think, I think the next thing is once, once the borders are down, yeah, and people can move again properly. Um, yeah, you need to get your ass on the road and get back up here, eh? And uh, well, well, I want to come to. Yeah, yeah, I want to come to Sydney, guys. I love it over there. I love the bloody Blue Mountains. Uh, unfortunately, uh, most of my time's been over firefighting over there, and um, I just want to come over and and get on the gas at Circular Key and zip out the man and see you boys up in the Blue Mountains. And uh, hell, life is short, guys. Come on. Yeah. He did, he did it again. He mentioned gas, which is a, a relationship to a car. Can't oh. help himself. Well, well you know. <laughs> but I'm willing to take any, if there's more questions there tonight, uh, yeah. you know, hit me up. Any more questions, Todd or, or Luke? Have a quick look. Having a quick look. Typical Cooper pisshead. <laughs> I, I saw um, that comment. We've, we've managed to get through the uh, through the questions. We've had a, quite a few good ones, which has been great. Yeah, no, it's been an informative session. Yeah, how's, it, look. how's our time? Uh, we are five to nine. Five to nine. All right. Yeah. Well, we might we might wrap it up then. That, if it, if it, the hour. Just one one other question as a as a budding distiller myself. Um, when you've got those small barrels sitting there that I just haven't had time to, to fill, yeah. what am I best to do with them? I've, when you've got two, I've got two five-liter <laughs> American oak barrels that have had spirit in them before and also had a bit of red wine in them. What do you do with them in the meantime? Can I be uh, cocky for once in my life? Once. <laughs> <laughs> Get, get your bloody priorities right and get, <laughs> get your bloody barrels full. I can't, I can't, I'm not overstating that. Serious, guys, uh, serious, because uh, would you give me a $100 note to light the barbecue with? Oh, look. <laughs> no, that's how I'm going to, how's I'm, that craft? He's not a car this time. Back. No, not a car. <laughs> but, uh, Waste but money, yeah. I, I want to I'll reiterate it, guys. Get your barrels full, keep them full. Keep them full, keep them full, keep them full. And uh, that's the way to go. Just whatever yeah. you can do to keep them full. I noticed, I noticed there was a question there come up on the screen a minute ago. How do we char our barrels? Yeah. Yeah, good uh, question, actually. Yeah. Okay, that come from uh, my old mate there, Peter Galotta. G'day, Peter. Uh, 
Hey, Pete. Uh, look, there's various ways of uh, charring the barrels. I'll tell you what, um, we, what we, we, we use gas, and I'll tell you why we do. We've got really good control, really good control over gas. We can hit it hard. We can lock in the flavours. Most of you guys have been in the Cooper shop. We can give a good layer of char, depending on what you want, without destroying behind that layer of char the flavours of the original barrel. Now, super cask is done uh, in that way, as you know, and we're all about having good, even control. So, all right, I've got a question. So toasting yeah. in, a in a general sense versus char, what is, <clears throat> what is the difference from a Cooper's Okay, standpoint? very, very, very good question. So all wine barrel, or most wine barrels, when they're bent, they're, they're, they're fired and yep. they're bent into position. Now, how you retain that, you retain that shape, you take all the stress out, out of the uh, bend of the, or the cask and you put it over a slow fire, maybe sometimes different cooperages, 15 to 20 minutes each end with a slow, not over the, you don't have a bushfire in there, but you have a nice and hot, you use all the oak offcuts. And so with a, with a wine barrel, you're toasting it. So you toast it like uh, you, you, enough to open the pores of the wood up. Right. Now with wine, if you if you char if you charred a a wine barrel, you're actually destroyed everything for, that that wine's going to get benefit from. So you've yeah. gone too far. You've gone too far. Spirit, on the other hand, if you didn't char your barrel, if you just put it in the barrel, you're going to end up with flavoured, God knows what, mm. but it won't be whiskey. So you have to char. A whiskey barrel and you know, i hear this all the time i ask char one two three four a b c d that's only a general rule of thumb okay okay and the reason why we say that in our cooper shop is because every cask is different yeah, every right. single cask is every single cask and we even we even with our charring now we even go down to the temperature of the day mm. okay yeah yeah a uh, uh, popular question uh, that's coming up on both uh, Zoom and Facebook, and I think you touched on it a bit before, um, is uh, stopping leaking along stave joints or yep. the uh, the ends of staves. Yeah. Uh, what's your what's your hot tips for, for that? Well, once again, uh, if 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 I owned a distillery and we're, tonight we're talking about uh, whiskey barrels and 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 um, spirit. If the cask is weeping, I wouldn't worry about it. That means that cask is working its guts out for you. If it's an actual leak, and I think that's what people are worried about, if it's, if it's a drip, drip sort of scenario, what you do is on the end of the staves, on the, where, where it's end grain, just go lightly with a little nail, for example, and just put a little wooden spigot in there and don't bash the hell out of it. Because what you'll do, 90% of, of the time, you don't know what you're doing, you're going to open up, you're going to make it worse. Mm. On, this, on the staves, just get a chisel, a blunt chisel, and just if it's about, let's say, for example, it's 50 mil long where, the leaking, where it's leaking, uh, two things you can do there, get some chalk and rub the chalk in nice and hard, not to fix the leak, but to really identify where that leak's coming from because you can get right. tricked. You can get tricked. It can be up the other end of the stave it's actually leaking from, and it can be leaking along. So uh, rub the chalk in, identify the area of concern, scrape it back and uh, roll up some brown paper as I showed everyone and and then just gently tap it in with a hammer and chisel. And, but whatever you do, don't bash the crap out of it. 
I've seen some videos of uh, winemakers repairing barrels, coopers in, in wine, and you'll have a, have a wine barrel on the side. And as, as they say on the videos, you know, you've got to find where the actual leak is. It, it so can right. be quite, quite deceptive. Exactly. You, you, yeah. and, and, I, and I've had this. I've spent time thinking I know where the leak is, and it's not. Um, and when you identify it, then you can actually do something about it. Yeah, exactly. I, I can remember I had a Grange barrel. In. Grange is worth a lot of money, as you guys know. Yeah. And uh, I was tasked of fixing it, finding the leak. And it took me two hours to find the leak. And would you believe, would you believe it was leaking under the hoop? Under the hoop? Oh, wow. Under the hoop. Yeah. Under the hoop. And that was a real challenge to fix, I can tell you. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, right. A few more got, questions by the looks yeah, of it. I've got one here. Um, is it Justin Mock? Justin. Yeah. G'day, Justin. Woodwater. Apologies, I'm still working out Zoom. <laughs> can you hear oh. me now? Yes, I can hear you. Oh, beautiful. Yes, sorry, it is. Hi, guys. How are you? Uh, yeah, my, my question was uh, just about most unusual wood types or if there's anything that's been uh, other than a traditional, you know, American or Hungarian or, or French oak that you've actually had to cooper into a cask for someone before. Yeah, we talked about it before, Justin. Um, oh, sorry. I'll, no, no, but it's okay. I'll, I'll quickly recap it. Generally, stay away from Australian hardwoods. Yep. Okay? They're going to give you grief, and, and it's going to be so unpalatable, and I'll challenge anyone on that. Uh, it's going to be so unpalatable, you, you wouldn't use it for rocket fuel. Beautiful. <laughs> Has there been a wood that surprised you where you thought, no, nah, this is not going to work, and then it actually did? Oh, believe it or not, I've had I've had some plain old simple uh, French oak, uh, some beautiful one hundred year old, one hundred year old, and we verified it one hundred year old uh, French oak cask out of uh, where I am at Sepplesfield, and we just we just shook our head in disbelief and we thought, wow, wow, yeah. this is. In fact, in fact, we even kept we keep the shavings. And I'll tell you something, uh, guys, that you want to think of as whiskey producers in Australia, high-end whiskey producers. Uh, some of you have met Owen Andrews, a chef at Sepplesfield. I, I save up most of those 100-year-old shavings for him. And you know where the wine industry has a pairing with uh, food and wine? And I think you've got a wonderful opportunity, all you guys across Australia. And I know you're probably doing it already, but I just say it, to match... Uh, your whiskies with certain restaurants and food, I think, I think that's an absolute, absolute uh, way to go. If you can get into high-end restaurants, get your get your whiskies there in some fancy restaurants in Sydney or wherever you're from. Talk to the chef, get really involved. That's the way to go. That's how I see it. Yeah, no, there's there's uh, there's a few doing that, and you're right. There's a real relationship between food and whisky. And when you get the matchings right, it, it can be spectacular. I mean, just come back to basics, oysters and, and peated whiskey. It's a match made in heaven. It really is, in my I opinion. Well, I've tried that. I'm going to have to try that now. Oh, try that. And, <laughs> uh, what's the name? Uh, Smitty from uh, Tin Shed Distillery. Uh, it's, it's quite funny when he does whiskey shows. The first thing he does, he doesn't put his whiskey out. He puts his chocolate out. He puts his chocolate out, and then he there puts his whiskey, whiskey out. And yeah, whiskey, whiskey yeah. and chocolate, uh, he's cheating. He's oh, yeah. cheating, I tell you. <laughs> yeah. Another question coming from uh, from Facebook. How thin okay. do you go with staves? How thin do you go with staves? Uh, good question. 
Yeah, and once again, once again, a really good question. And we we reject anything under. We wouldn't go anything under twenty five mil. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. And here's here's something else to consider. What's the, the what's in the, the there? Yeah, sorry, I'll go again. What's the risk there going under twenty five mil? Well, believe it or not, you're going to have maturation that's too quick. I know that sounds funny, but uh, you're going to have maturation that's too quick. I wouldn't go under anything, and the and the integrity of the cask is compromised. Integrity. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Particularly if you're standing, if you're if you're a distillery that's standing them up on end on pallets, you do the mathematics. Uh, now you, you guys have to help me here with the maths, but I think years ago, if you had three hogsheads full of wine, uh, including the weight of the barrel, I could be wrong, nearly a ton, a ton of weight. So if you've got that poor bugger on the bottom pile, he's supporting there. He's supporting his mates. Uh, it, there's risk. Yeah. But from a but from a whiskey performance point of view, I wouldn't go under anything under twenty five mil. In fact, in fact, which leads me into my next uh, thing I'm going to talk about: shaving of casks. Um, yeah, yeah. Good point. We haven't covered okay. that. Okay. Now here, here's the deal. Uh, you hear of you hear of distilleries. Uh, oh look, we shave. We got these cask in beautiful thick staves, you know, thirty-two mil, and we got them shaved out, and we got them recharred, retoasted, recharred. STR, what? I think they call it. Yep. Why? Yep. Why would you strip out all that beautiful flavour that nature's already put there for you? Mm. Stupid. Stupid. You're actually taking away. Unless the cast has got out of problems, yeah, okay, you might shave it. Uh, you know, we haven't shaved a barrel for or for whiskey for many, many years because yeah. we've we've worked around it how we can retain those beautiful flavours with a nice char level. Mm. I must say, it's something I've thought about the the whole STR concept of yeah, shave, toast, and char. And yeah, from what you said, you, you, if you're shaving off that layer. Of, of flavor yeah. um, okay you're tasting the underlying you're going to it's going to be a lighter influence on on the overall whiskey you you would think so i, I guess if you're chasing a lighter style that, that would make sense but if you're after a more meaty whiskey it doesn't make sense at all well I, i'm biased i'm biased here i mean it's like me cooking a chop on a barbie i want a chop that i can lift on the, a, a bloody steak with a forklift onto the barbecue Hang on, forklifts like a car. Yeah, well, yeah, but, you know, (laughs) big grunty bloody tomahawk, you know, and and big gutsy whiskies. I'm the same with my wine, you know. I like to drink big, heavy wines. I mean, everyone to their own, uh, for sure. But getting back to shaving the cask, I I have a belief why why shave out, why take out all that flavour? In fact, I'm doing a lot of work, still doing a lot of work with a very famous uh, distillery overseas. Had it not been for COVID, I would have been there now. And... uh, We've, we've, what we're doing is quite amazing. It's, it, you know, we compare notes and think, bloody hell, they're pretty much doing what we're doing, but in a much bigger scale. Cool. Very cool. Yeah. All right. Any other questions there, guys? Well, I guess, Andrew, if, if you had a, a new distiller out there, yep. um, came to you and asked, what size barrel would you recommend they started with? Okay. In Australia, I would say you start with a hundred litre barrel, yeah. And then we do we do what we do in our Cooper shop. We have a full wood program for startups, 
and even the big distilleries. Now, let me give you an indication. We, we say start off 100 litre, where, where, where you're from, for example, and uh, most, most of the places are coastal. Uh, 100 litres are good size, so they can get their head around what they're doing, uh, effects of maturation. And then if they want to be long-term, because as you know, it's a long-term game. This whiskey industry is a long-term game. And you can burn money uh, like it's going in a fashion. And I'm not into burning anyone else's money. I can tell you that. So I advise people, we'll start up an oak program for you. Start off at 100 litre. You get rolling at 100 litre and then introduce, don't go to 220 litres because they're, they're being phased out in Australia, mostly. And then you go to a 300 litre. So a 300 litre hogshead. So you, you bring the two together. You still have to have your rules and regulations how it's all matured. But when you want volume, you go into your 300 litres. Mm. So, so 100 litre, uh, let's just take it as an example. 100 litre matures in, in three to four years, typically. So a, what did you say the hogs were? Three, 300 litres? 300, yeah, 300 litres. So, so you'd be up looking like a six to eight-year-old whiskey. You, Correct. That's what you, yeah, right. Co correct. So what I'm saying is get the 100 litres going, get them on yep. the road, so to speak, and but bring your bring your 300s forward. So in other words, don't don't manufacture, and I'll, I'll pull a figure out the sky here, don't manufacture six years just using 100 litre barrels. So no. start off with your 100 litres. By the second or third year, introduce some 300s, right? Yeah. And so eventually you're going to, if you look at a graph, it's going to be a graph like that. It's going to be nice and steady. I'm always concerned, as I said to you before, if anyone says to me, oh, I've got massive growth, massive blah, blah, blah. And I'll say, give us a little your graph or your growth rate. If it goes straight up like a rocket, guess what? It can only go one way. Mm. And it looks pretty ugly. Yeah. Slow, <laughs> steady growth. Slow, steady growth. Yeah. That's, there are Todd, we've got to start getting into 300s, mate. So we need a bigger yeah. shed. Yeah. <laughs> well guys i can only say i always say this australia is a big place room for expansion <laughs> yes all right okay any questions or are we uh, there's are we... a little debate about whether we should be adding other things such as chocolate to the barrels when we're aging whiskey so... oh well but it's um yeah in, in australia um with the restrictions that we work with, which are quite loose, uh, there's a lot of different things we can do. I mean, we've done, personally, uh, Todd and I have done a, um, honey in a barrel, um, which is now, how old is that barrel, Todd? It's a year and a bit. Yeah, it's about 18 months now. Eight, 18 months. Uh, and it's um, definitely had an impact, uh, a positive impact on, on the flavor profile. So, yeah, try things. Try things. This is the, yeah. the, great, the great thing about our industry. Uh, another question from Facebook there, uh, from uh, David and Carolyn Taylor. Uh, what made you become a Cooper, Andrew? I, I think the question was, what made me become a Cooper? Yeah, what made you yeah. become a Cooper? Oh, I wanted to, yeah, yeah. Well, Dad, we took it. A, we took our grapes in the penfolds in the old truck, and uh, I just wanted to be a carpenter or, a, or something to do with wood. And I annoyed the old Cooper there, and. Uh, Rest is history of, uh, yeah, you know, uh, five-year apprenticeship. And um, I had so look, uh, Penfolds looked after me and uh, I've still got some very close connections there. And uh, I, 
I want to make one thing clear. Like I said earlier on, I've been in trade now for 47, 48 years, and I've got Rodney 52 years. We're only talking the other day, and uh, I think if you're Cooper or anything in life, if you if you think you know it all, you you know stuff all because you're learning something every day. I think that 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 attitude's you know you gotta you gotta learn something new every day. So what's changed in the the cooperage industry for you uh, in your during your tenure? How how has it evolved and um, how have times changed for you? Okay, well a couple of interesting things there. There's been machinery uh, introduced for barrel making, which is much more efficient, faster much more efficient. But of course, with more machinery, what happens, it goes from one machine to the next, not in my workshop, but in the big uh, cooperages. And uh, virtually you hardly touch it now, except when you're loading the machine and uh, going to the next process. One of the concerning things, and we've started up, this is why we start up Cooper for a day and invite everyone to come to um, Sepplesfield, is the lack of uh, apprentices and um, you know, uh, guys like Peter Glotter in the Cooper shop the other day using a brace and bit, but we'll put him on the hand tools. Uh, but ser but seriously, guys, um, is, the, is the actual accredited Coopers passing on the, their skills? Yeah. Now, you can read all the books you like. You can go to old mate Dr. Google and you can do that. I'm not, I'm not against people having a go, but unless you've got a proper accredited uh, school or which we which we are working on now to help the industry wine and whiskey industry um you know costs of coopering are going to go sky high is there a danger that coopering is is becoming a lost art or no 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 we're, we're gonna we we put things in place five years ago to uh cut that off we're we're going to make sure it survives um and uh we're working with a number of other places to reintroduce programs uh, we're cutting right through red tape. Make no mistake, we're we're going to cut right through red tape. If we have a wall in front of us, we're going to push it over, because it's too important, too important. If young guys want to or girls want to give it a go, they should have every equal opportunity as what I did to give how it a go. How are you seeing the split? Just talking about guys and girls. How are you seeing the split of of, of gender adoption of of becoming a cooper? Oh, it's, it's a bloody tough gig. I mean, I, I won't pull any punches there. Curbing is a tough gig. If you're doing it the hand way like we are, um, you have your testy days. Um, are there more you know, girls entering into girls? No, no, no. Are um, you finding or? Well, some are inquiring. Um, there's no doubt about that. But uh, it's just got to be, it's just one of those. Curbing is traditionally hard, heavy. It's a hard, heavy slog. It's a hot physical, um, yeah, workplace, isn't it? Yeah, well, you, you know, you've been there crafty when we're doing mm. our um, special uh, firing of barrels, um, special, mm. you know, you go from zero to bloody 900 degrees plus or zero to 700. Uh, you know, anyone wants to come and join us and get a taste of it, we welcome it. And um, uh, it's, it's a learning experience. It's all, we play with fire every day. Mm. Uh, we, by the end of the day, we're sick of bloody fire. You know, no, no, no. You go, you go home and barbecue a steak, then, don't you? Well, I did tonight, actually. I did tonight, and even I bloody burned that. But anyway, anyway. Do yeah, look, have... how's that for a bloody sausage? There, I'd even bloody char that. There you go. That's the heavy char, that one. That is exactly right. Do you have a yeah. smoker? You must have some amazing woods and amazing shavers 
shavings yeah. that you can whack in your smoker and do we something do. amazing. We do, and I, I tell you what, I give it to the chef, Owen Andrews, uh, the chef here across from where I am, uh, that guy, what he does. And uh, and uh, even when we, years ago, we even we, we kept the shavings when I made that Prince, uh, Prince Philip barrel, that oval. We made him an oval and we uh, sent that. And that's, that's now full of Lafroig over there and you know, the good mother country, as they call it. Uh, we kept the shavings from that. So anything unique, it's all get, we keep it, we box it up. And i got to tell you what, what it does to food, and now I'm biased, but um, what it does to food and the flavour of food is just is spectacular. Mm. So those, those special projects yeah. that you get, have you received bottles from those projects that you you keep in high regard and that you're quite you look at that on the shelf and you're quite proud of i created the barrel yeah. made that yeah i yeah. made that possible yeah, yeah. I, I do but i'm also very very conscious and I, I don't take this lightly i i hold my guy my guys that help me in my cooper shop i might be i might own the business and run it but i i treat all of my guys with the same respect uh, they they all have equal input. Now, most of you guys have been to my Cooper shop, and it's a happy Cooper shop. And uh, there, there's a couple there that we did with uh, Bill Lark years ago. Uh, only uh, I think about 80 liters were made, no more than 80 liters, and that was something special. And that was called the Four Corners, and that involved myself, Warren Randall, uh, Bill Lark, and Ross Dinsmore in, uh, in those days. So that, that's a very special thing. I love Tasmania. I love Sydney. I love Australia. That's it. <laughs> awesome. Awesome, Andrew. All right, guys. Well, I think we need to wrap it up now. Um, so, Andrew, mate, thank you for coming on and, and telling us wow. what goes on in, in the cooperage. Okay. And I want to say thank you, guys, and just I'll close off now, but I think it's very important that uh, maintain quality. Don't take the take the. I always say take the short hard or the long hard road, and yep. it takes extra. Take the long hard road because when victory comes and it does, uh, if you do the right thing, when victory comes, it's well worth celebrating. We're here to help each other. Just remember it. Andrew, thank, thanks for having me, Andrew Young, the philosopher and the man with wood. <laughs> thanks, guys. Thank you, guys. Bye. Thanks. See ya. Thanks. All righty. All right, guys. Well, that's it for uh, another one. Um, we're finishing up. So uh, the next one will be in two weeks, and we are interviewing someone pretty special. It's uh, Ned, head distiller from Waterford Distillery in Ireland, which is going to be a real treat. Uh, Waterford is an exciting distillery on the world stage, doing some amazing things with, with grain and, and processes. So uh, looking forward to having chat shooting the shit with uh ned and uh, details to follow on it meanwhile thanks all crafty out thank you guys enjoy your night thanks guys see ya see ya yeah